Indeed, O oh God, we as your people understand that Jesus Christ alone is worthy. We used to think that we were worthy. We used to think that we earned our way into your presence. We used to think that we were people who were good enough to merit your acceptance. And then, O oh God, by your kindness, we discovered that at the base of our being, we were sinners. Sinners through and through. And the only one worthy to enter your presence was your son, Jesus. And he offered to carry us with him, covered in his robe of righteousness. Our sin paid for by his spilt blood. And so, Father, we sing, you alone are worthy, O thrice holy God. And I pray, Father, that our worship will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight this morning. I do ask, O oh God, that what you find here will be people whose hearts are, are hearts that embrace this rich and pure gospel, this gospel of grace that announces forgiveness to people who don't, don't deserve it. Lord, we want to continue to pray for the, the folks in our church that are, that are struggling. Um, so many of us, O oh God, struggle at this time. We think particularly of the Boltons and pray that uh, you will give them good news and that perhaps the, the diagnosis was, is not as serious as has first been thought. Comfort that family, O oh God. Bring them back to us safely and wholly. And we commit them to you as well as others perhaps in this room this very moment who struggle with perhaps different things. Oh God, might your grace be sufficient for us all. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to give. It is one way where we can tangibly express that you are our God. We love you, O oh God. We, we trust you and believe that our financial future is better off in your hands than it is in our own. And so, Father, accept these gifts as, the, as directed by an effort to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ the very one who taught his people to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. As you find that, let me remind you that what we're doing in these uh, summer months is going through, I guess you'd say, our core values of our church. Uh, I, I think they're inserted into your, I mean, perhaps they were on your seats this morning, but these are the core values of Grace Evangelical Church. We've done uh, three of them. We're going to do number four, actually out of order, but uh, we're going to do uh, the fourth one today, <clears throat> and it's listed uh, number five on that sheet, the blessings and demands of being in the covenant community. 
That's what we want to talk about this morning, the blessings and demands of being in the covenant community. So follow as I read, beginning at verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. The first thing that I, I want to point out, which is uh, fairly obvious, I think, uh, is that I want you to consider that this we are getting a glimpse this morning in this text into the first church. Not first church, or first Baptist church, or first Presbyterian church, or first congregational church, but the first church. Uh, this is the first time in the New Testament that the word ecclesia, which is the normal Greek word for church, this is the first time that ecclesia has been used in application to a group of uh, believers that had gathered. The, the reason that, that I think that's important to understand, that is that this is the first church, um, and, and the reason that I want you to know about that is because um, if you're going to study how church life should be, this would be a good place to start, studying this church, the life of this church, um, you know, we preachers, we get, um, we get all excited about churches that we hear about around the country who are flourishing and that really are doing dynamic things. And we read all the books and study all the brochures and, and do everything that we can to, you know, figure out what's going on in those churches so that we can try to do our jobs a little better. But, you know, when you get close enough, you, you understand that those churches that are, that are just blowing and going today... Um, Though emulatable in, in several areas, in some areas, they're wrestling with the same things that we are. Because anytime you get a group of people together, you're going you're gonna to have some similar problems and confronted by the, some similar things. That, so my, my point is, the church that is depicted in this text for the, this morning is one which had not been affected by 2,000 years of a crude human sin and mistake, it was in her pristine form. And the further the church, the, the church today, the further the church moves away from the first century church, I think the more, the more deviation you can expect. So we get a chance to look at the first church. And if we're going to study one, we might want to start here. So there are here some, what I would want to suggest, are some evidences of the presence of God's Spirit in a church. And I want you to see those. And I've, I've really broken my, my comments um, up over two points over the, the core value. The blessings 
and demands of being in the covenant community. So let's first talk about the blessings of being in a covenant community. What, what is supposed to be available to me uh, or to you in our church? In a church, what should, be, what should you expect to be available to you? Well, uh, we find here that the first thing that is mentioned is uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That is, in, in other translations, use, use the word teaching. Well, one of the things that you should be, uh, you should be expecting is teaching. Um, you know, the morning of the day that's being described here, that morning, there was 120 members in this church. That night, there were 3,120 members in this church. And they had come from all parts of the world, Parthians and Medes and et cetera, et cetera. They come into the church basically knowing nothing. Nothing. Uh, they've heard the gospel and responded to the gospel and know nothing. So teaching was foundational to this church. It was an urgent need. It was something that must be laid out for God's people. What you, what you find here is the Holy Spirit opening a, a, a school with 3,000 students, and the apostles are teaching them. Well, one of the things that you ought to expect in, in a church where the Holy Spirit abides is apostolic teaching. That which is consistent with apostolic teaching. Consistent, basically, with the mandates and precepts of this book. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing, you'll notice, um, they, they continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and fellowship. Now, guys, this word fellowship is a word that you've heard before. In fact, churches are named Fellowship Bible Church, or in fact, some are named koinonia. That's the Greek word. You've heard that word before, koinonia. It was, it's been used a lot uh, of late. It's a word that does, can be translated fellowship. It can be translated uh, community or commonality. Uh, I think you could even stretch it to, um, to be translated family. Here are 3,000 people, many of whom have come from various parts of the world and uh, come into Jerusalem not expecting what they heard, but they came for this occasion and um, find themselves now converted in a group of people that they don't know. Um, but now they're all one in Christ and the, they begin this process of loving each other uh, to bear one another's burdens and their, and their needs uh, meeting needs communally and praying together there's this wonderful sense of community and commonness or commonality or belonging to each other and ladies and gentlemen, I say to you, that is, that is a mark of a pure church. This earnestness uh, for life in the body. Uh, and a Christian who fails to participate in the life of the local church is inexcusable. There, there are no lone rangers in the body of Christ. It's interesting, he did, that is, God did not add them to the church without saving them. But he did not save them without adding them to the church. 
um, I had a man come to me just recently. In fact, he's in the room right this minute. He came to me, um, and he'd just been transferred here from Atlanta. Um, had a church over there that he loved. I know the church. It's a good church. Um, he transferred in here, new job, didn't know anybody, and started, you know, the, the process of trying to replace his church home. Now, if you've been church shopping, ladies and gentlemen, that is no fun. I did it way back when I was, had become a Christian, my wife and I, early on in our Christian experience. Church shopping was no fun. And if you're here today and visiting and church shopping, we have at least the, under, the sympathy to understand that this ain't fun for you. But this man is going through the process of finding a church. And, and so I was talking to him after one of the services. And, you know, he said to me something like this. I'm not quoting him exactly, but he said something like this. He said, uh, you know, Jimmy, I'm very interested in, in having good preaching, and, um, and it appears that the preaching and teaching here is, is good. But the thing that I'm looking for, the thing that my family is looking for, is that we want a home where we can build friendships. We want our church to be the center of our lives. Amen, brother. That's what these folks had in this church. Their lives, their communal lives, their lives of relationships, their lives of, of knowing and growing to love people took place in their church, which is the way it's supposed to be. That kind of commonality. These people were a family in Acts 2. They, they lived like a family. And you know, I, I heard somebody say once that families are like fudge, uh, mostly sweet with a few nuts. And that's true, isn't it? Um, there, there are a few nuts among us, but it's mostly sweet in, in the way it should be. Gang, this church, their whole lives revolved around their church. Their, their kids' friendships and their moms' and dads' friendships were in the church. And I think that's what koinonia is all about. And I think, according to this text, that it's one of the, the evidences, evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. The second thing is mentioned, or the third thing, that you should expect, that you should be able to expect from a church is the breaking of bread. I'm still in verse 42. Of course, it's worth alluding to the sacraments, the Lord's Supper in particular. But I think more broadly, it has an idea that the church is supposed to be a place where there is the constant reminder of the centerpiece of our religion. That being, of course, the life, the death, the person, the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. That there is in that church the constant reminder to its people that the centerpiece of all that we believe, that all that makes us alive, all that makes us holy, all that makes us real, all that makes us saved, is Christ. Christ. All of Christ, Christ alone. 
And that must be a constant emphasis of a church where the Holy Spirit abides. And then the fourth thing that I think you ought to be able to expect is prayer. But you'll notice the word is in the plural. Prayers. You know, guys, um, I'm not so sure that's one of the things that we do best around here. But I can tell you this. Before I came to the pulpit this morning, I had been in two prayer meetings. There is another one that is going on right now. And we would love, and one of the reasons that Jeff Simons was added to the church, and part of his job description, is to rally this congregation to prayer. There are numerous opportunities and things that we should do better and are seeking to do. But ladies and gentlemen, this bearing of one another's burdens, this praying, this exalting God and is a mark of a church where the Holy Spirit is, is alive and well. Now those are, those are four things, ladies and gentlemen, teaching and, and fellowship and the sacraments and prayer. In, in, uh, in, a, in a word, you could call those things means of grace. That is, vehicles that God has left behind so that you and I could become more like the Savior. Now, there's, there are others. I'll tell you another means of grace that is not listed here. It's listed every place else in the New Testament. Suffering. Pain. Trial. That's another means of grace. But here, there are those four that are, that are mentioned. And you'll notice in verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in those things. Now, those are things, those are blessings uh, of being a part of the covenant community, things that you ought to be able to expect from being a part of a covenant community. But ladies and gentlemen, you will note in this text that there are also demands. Demands of being in a covenant community. And the first one that stands out so glaringly is generous giving. <laughs> there, there isn't any doubt about that. Look at verses 44 and 45. Let me read that for you. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone who had need. One of the demands, I'm going to mention a couple of others, but one of the demands of being in the covenant community is that there need be generous giving. Gang, no one in this church, Acts 2, regarded his possessions as belonging to absolutely and only himself. Now, I must add, there is nothing in this text that hints that this was compulsory. That is, that they had to sell... In fact, you will notice that some of them, um, even still owned their homes, they met at home to home and all. Um, this was not some kind of compelled communism. Um, it was all absolutely voluntary. But one of the marks of this early church is that these people couldn't give enough. Just couldn't 
give enough. You know, though this is not any kind of compelled communism, ladies and gentlemen, nor is it grudging, stingy, reluctant giving either. One of the demands of being in a covenant community is is generosity. Um, I, I, it's interesting to me, I don't know that it'll make any sense to you, but it was interesting to me, that the word koinonia, which means fellowship, the word for generous in the New Testament is koinonikas. You can, you can see they're, they're related words. Family and generosity are very related concepts. That's one of the demands. The, the other demand, well, before I get to that, let me, let me, guys, in this church, no one would have dreamed of being only a taker. There's no t- takers only in this bunch. Nobody would have dreamed of doing that. Now, the, the second demand of covenant community is, is rather stated more subtly, but I certainly think it's in the text. Notice in verse 46, um, uh, they, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. These people were, um, they were glad. They were happy people. Notice in verse 46, they, um, daily with one accord. Gosh, these people were unified people. And then in verse 43, you'll notice, then fear came upon every soul. These were God-fearing people. Now, now put this together. They were generous, God-fearing, happy, and unified. Boy, isn't that a beautiful portrait of some godly people? Generous, God-fearing, happy, unified. My, my point is, the second demand of being in covenant community is a demand on character. It is a demand of us to pursue this kind of godly character. To live in this bunch meant that they were glad, simple, unified, God-fearing, generous people. Those were people, these were people of enormous character. Let me mention a third demand of living in the covenant community. And this one uh, is by way of implication, but it is a very clear implication, and I think you'll agree. Listen now. Listen, let me, let me read to you. I want to read to you a portion of the text again. Just listen to this stream of thought. Now, all who had believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, of course he did. You, you get this 
Then fear came from every soul. Now all they believed lived together, and they were continuing daily and breaking bread from house to house with gladness and simplicity of our praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added. Of course he added. Of course God added to that church. Because there is such an attractive power of a pure and earnest people. Give us a church like this. And of course the Lord adds. Now gang, um, you hear nothing in this church about an evangelism program. But the life in that church was so compelling that multitudes were drawn to this Savior of ours daily. Oh, my brethren, depend on it. That far more important than my preaching is your lives. Your lives will determine the expansion of this church or any church. You know, I have, um, I have 30 minutes a week to preach to you. And you have seven days a week to contradict everything you heard with your life. Which of those two do you think will win? My 30-minute ditty? Or your seven-day lifestyle? I, I think that's pretty obvious, don't you? Where there is an inward vigor of life in a church, there will be the Lord adding to that church. That, that, that church which is pure and honest and living and earnest will be a church that, that, that spreads and increases. Their health as a church produced a, a mighty impact on people outside that church. And all of that occurred daily. Now, guys, I want to say one other thing, but it's not in the text, but it's close to this text. And, and I think it certainly is descriptive of this church. And it certainly is germane to the point that I'm trying to make. And I want you to see it. If you could flip over to Acts 5, where this new church is still being described. I want to take this thought one step further. This is the story about Ananias and Sapphira. You might remember it. They lied to the Holy Spirit and their lives were taken. Look at verse 12, Acts 5, 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Here it is. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. My point is this, ladies and gentlemen, just, just like the life of the church will attract, the life of the church will also repel. There are congregations, and let's all pray to God that ours is not one of them, but there are congregations that have a stamp of worldliness that goes so deep in them that there are people who who are burdened uh, who want to be burdened with as little 
religion as they can possibly get away with, as, as, as little as will make them respectable in their communities. And they look for places where the demands are very slight. And, and I come to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, for whose character I am at least in some degree responsible. And I come to you with this appeal. We must see to it that as far as our influence extends as individuals, that this community of ours, the Grace Evangelical Church, will be such that people who only want some kind of skin-deep religion that will make them respectable in their communities would never dream, would never dream of taking up a church home here. But that those who are earnest in their pursuit of holy things, who desire nothing more than to be like Jesus Christ, and are striving to move further and further in their walk with Christ will come here and will find a group of like-minded people. A group of people who have their struggles, yes, yes, yes. A group of people who have failed, yes, 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 yes. A people who have skeletons in their closets, oh, yes, yes. People who understand that they blew it in the past, no question. But people who long, people who long to be more and more of what Jesus Christ would have them be. Those people need to know from us that Jesus has forgiven them. And so will we. And let's get on this path. This path of becoming more. The point is simply, ladies and gentlemen, the life of this church in Acts 2 attracted, but it also repelled. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the demands of living in a covenant community is to make our family like this one. Th that people will find nothing to draw them here that smacks of something of an easy religion, kind of Christianity light. But those who are done with their formalism, done with their skin deepness, done with their worldliness, will recognize in us a church of men and women who are bent upon becoming holy and longing for more and more conformity to Christ. That's what I think this church was like. That, are some, that is some of the demands 
Oh, my friends, there are provisions made. And there are demands that are made. And I close with this. There is nothing, nothing that you can ever dream of that is more beautiful than the Christian church when she is operating like she's supposed to. Nothing. The, the converse is also true. There's nothing uglier than a good church fight. Bless God, we've avoided all that to this point. But there is nothing more beautiful, nothing so compelling, nothing so enriching than the church of Jesus Christ when she's doing what she's supposed to do. I know you agree with that. Let's go do that. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do thank you for this text. I thank you for that which means so much to us is trying to be a church that is beautiful for the Savior. Trying to be a church that is so attractive to the world that needs to hear about Christ. And yet, repels others who are looking for something that is only skin deep and formal and worldly. Oh God, might that not be us? And where it is us, show it to us. And we will do our darndest to change it and become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We will do our best to be more and more like the church that we read about in the book of Acts. We uh, ask this, of course, in Jesus' name, amen.